I'm Jim Brown, your Bible teacher at Grace and Truth Ministries. I've been teaching on Christmas, how it's Christ Mass, it's Roman Catholicism, and it was against the law to celebrate Christmas 300 years ago in America. You want to know how to approach somebody? Say that to them. Say it was against the law to celebrate Christmas. 300 years ago in America, it is paganism. It's Christ Mass. Now, this is a picture in the McClinican Strong Encyclopedia of St. Nicholas of Amira. This is the original Santa Claus right here. This is a Roman Catholic bishop of the 4th century. And uh, he was, uh, you can see the halo over his head, which is the sun god. He's got the tonsure. That's where they shave their heads round to depict the sun. And uh, he's got a crucifix in his hand, Christ crucified on a cross, but he hasn't resurrected from the dead. Anytime you see a crucifix with Christ on it, that's Roman Catholic. And he's supposed to have had his foot upon the world. Let me read to you an article that I, I wrote this about 30, 33, 34 years ago. And I put it in the local paper. They told me after I brought the, took the copy down to the lady that put in the paper, she called me back and she said, Mr. Brown, we're going to have to put a disclaimer on this. You're calling Santa Claus a demon. I said, great. I love disclaimers. That makes people want to read it. But I'm going to read this to you. And they put a disclaimer on it. They put a, they put a big... A slot up there and said advertisement. That was their disclaimer. Romans, what I do is I write, I write verses up here in this little square up here, and I'll give a, uh, one of the uh, words in the verse, and I'll tell you what it is in Greek or Hebrew, and define it, and then I give you the body of the thing. This is what they wanted to say. We don't want to lay claim to this. Romans 3, 10 through 12, There is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that seeketh after God. There is none that doeth good, not one. And that's Romans 10, Romans 3, 10 through 12. And I'm referring to St. Nicholas because they told him how good he was and he knew good from evil. John 11:25. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And the reason I put that in there, it was said that St. Nicholas resurrected some boys from uh, the dead. They had been chopped up in pieces and he prayed over them and they kind of come back together like a cartoon. You know, and and, uh, then they walked around. Jesus said, no, that's me. Mark 4.39, speaking of Jesus, He rebuked the wind and said unto the seas, Peace be still. It was said that when St. Nicholas sat on the sea and everything was rough and the winds were blowing, he stood up and said, Be still, waters. And he made the storms quit. He was trying. They said he held all of the same powers of Christ. He was omnipotent, omniscient, and omnipresent. He was everywhere at one time. The goodness of God leads us to repentance. Repent is the word metanoia, means reversal 
or change of mind. It was said that St. Nicholas caused one of the leaders of the ancient world to repent and change his mind and not execute some people simply because St. Nicholas told him not to. Deuteronomy 18, 9-11 Thou shalt not learn to do after the abominations of these nations, there shall not be found among you an observance, observers of times, an enchanter, a witch, or a charmer, or a consultant with spirits, with familiar spirits, or a wizard, or a necromancer. Necromancer is the Hebrew word darash. It means to seek or inquire, muth, to kill or, or to inquire of the dead. That's what little children do when they go sit on Santa Claus' lap. They're inquiring of a dead Roman Catholic bishop if they're going to be able to distribute fortunes. And demon, demonion, means to distribute fortunes. Now I'll read the body of it. St. Nicholas was a Romanist bishop of the 4th century in Asia Minor. His Dutch name is Santa Claus, where we get our pronunciation. He was said to possess the attributes and virtues of Christ. The Cyclopedia of Biblical Ecclesiastical Theological Literature, the following myth was told as fact. The day of his birth, the child arose in his bath and joined his hands and praised God. And from the same day, the day he was born, and from the same day, he would only take the breast on Wednesday and Friday, thus knowing how to fast from the time he was born. You believe that? I got some swampland I want to talk to you about down in Louisiana. He was said to have been born without sinful nature, just like Jesus. The scripture says there is none good, John, but God, John nineteen seventeen. Jesus is God in the flesh, John 1, 1. St. Nicholas took a sea voyage to Palestine. When a storm arose, a sailor was said to have fallen overboard, whereupon St. Nicholas rescued him, restoring his life after death, or the resurrection, and Jesus said, I am the resurrection. Only Jesus possesses this power of resurrection. St. Nicholas then called upon the storm, and it ceased, just like Jesus. Do you believe that? No. It is Jesus who rebuked the wind and the seas, and there was a great calm in Matthew eight twenty six, also in Luke the 8th chapter. It was said that he appeared to Emperor Constantine in a dream and caused him to change his mind, thus causing repentance. Concerning the execution of two men who prayed to him for deliverance, prayed to St. Nicholas for deliverance, not Jesus. Only God works in men's hearts causing repentance in 2 Corinthians 7.10, 2 Timothy 2.25. When men would pray to Jesus, it was said that St. Nicholas answered their prayers, thus possessing all the powers of the living God, omnipotent, unlimited power, and authority, omnipresent, all places at one time, and omniscient, knowing all things. That's why he knows when you're sleeping, he knows when you're awake, 
He knows when you've been bad or good, so be good for goodness sake. He was the ultimate judge of good and bad children, giving sweets to the good and switches to the bad. Only God knows the heart. We are not to judge by the outward appearance. We are to declare righteous judgment, John 7, 24, Leviticus 19, 15, 1 Samuel 16 and 7, which is the word of God. We teach our children to talk to the dead, necromancy, asking this dead Romanist bishop who answers the prayers of the saints for material things. We tell them that if they are good, which is impossible outside of Jesus Christ, then they will receive the lusts or the desires of their little flesh. The materialism of Babylon, Revelation 18, 2-16, we are teaching our children covetousness, plenactase, wanting more. Is that all there is? Which is idolatry in Ephesians 5, 5 and Colossians 3, 5. These are really good verses. The word devil in the Greek is the word daemon or daemonion, meaning to distribute fortunes. Satan took Jesus, told Jesus, worship me and I'll give you the fortunes of this world, Matthew 4 9. We're teaching our children to seek a devil, Santa Claus, who will distribute fortunes to them. Santa Claus is a lie that is merely the beginning of the corruption of our children. Every good and perfect gift is spiritual and it comes from God. James 1.17 I got upset at that. That's something else. I'll read another one next week. I, I like to say things that punch people hard, especially sinners that are unrepentant. All right. I'm still talking about Santa Claus or Christmas or Christmas is Christmas is it is not godly at all you stop and think Jesus the things that Jesus said in the world you shall have tribulation tribulation and that's in John 16 John 16, I believe it's 32. And then Jesus and Paul said, we must do much tribulation, tribulation. We must do much tribulation, Acts 14.22. And we must, through much tribulation, enter the kingdom of God. This is not something you hear people talk about at Christmas time. You don't talk about tribulation. You don't talk about about tribulation or trials or persecution. Uh, that no man should be moved by these afflictions. Afflictions. First Timothy three, or First Thessalonians three, and. 3 and 1 and 2. We must do much affliction. That's the same word as tribulation. 
You don't hear anybody read these verses at Christmas time, do you? And the Bible says, straight is the gate, and narrow is the way, is the way that leads to eternal life. Eternal life. And few there be that find the narrow way. You don't hear anybody talking about a narrow way at Christmas time. Now is the word T-H-L-I-B-O. It is a form of the word tribulation. T-H-L-I-P-S-I-S. One is the verb, the other is the noun. Nobody talks about the narrow way. You don't go to your brother-in-law's house or your sister-in-law's house and talk about the narrow way. And the Bible says, wide is the gate. Why does a gate that leads to destruction? Well, they don't want to talk about that at Christmas time. And many there be that go in the wide gate that leads to destruction. Many. Most people in the world are going to hell when they die. That's what this says in Matthew. Matthew 13. Matthew 14. Matthew 7. I'll get it in a minute. Matthew 7, 13, and 14. Nobody wants to talk about the narrow way and talk about the wide gate that goes to destruction. And at Christmas time, that's the time to go to your brother's brother-in-law's house and keep your mouth shut. That's what it's for. It's fine for families to get together, for Church of Christ to get together with a Baptist in-law and a Roman Catholic uh, distant kin to come in. And nobody talk about religion at all. It's the time to talk about the birth of the baby Jesus, not the resurrection of Christ. It's an utter insanity to me. I knew something was wrong with this when I was a little kid. Even before I even discovered that Christmas was pagan when I was 12 years old living in Fort Worth, Texas at 3307 Grover Street and Daddy went out and bought a TV a big box this big and it had a a little 8 inch screen on it and boy we couldn't hardly see it but we'd turn all the lights out and turn that thing on that thing would flick on the horizontal part would flick and somebody said straighten up the horizontal hold and somebody would go over and do that we'd watch the midnight mass we watched everything but all we had was two stations, ABC, NBC, that's it. The ABC, excuse me, NBC and CBS. ABC was fledgling, hadn't gotten really hold of anything yet. So we, we watched whatever was there and we watched the Midnight Mass. And as a little kid, I'm sitting there saying, is this Christ's Mass? And I think the Pope was some kind of a, uh, some kind of a priest or something. And I think St. Nicholas was a priest back years ago. And I found out he was a, he was this guy. That's how he started. They actually, if you look at some of the other countries, the Pope, all the cardinals have got the, the fool's hat on. That's the mouth of the fish. That's what it is. It's the closed mouth when it's like this. It's the same thing as the fool's hat. The dunce hat. 
And that was what the fool wore at the, at the Saturnalia. Saturnalia was the feast of Saturn. It went from December the 17th through the 24th. And they threw the Yule log in the fire on the 24th. It sprung out on the 25th in the form of the tree and had all the gifts under the tree. All the gifts. The tree among the pagans was said to be the giver of all divine gifts to men. Now, what I'm getting to with you is they don't talk about the real truth at Christmas. This baby Jesus was had many names around the world. It was Xing Mu and the baby in China. It was... Uh, uh, the mother with the baby in arms among all the pagan worlds. He was called the eternal boy at Rome. He never was crucified, never resurrected, but he was the eternal boy. And you've got all these names all over the world. Uh, you had uh, uh, in in China, they had their form of, of the Madonna. They... they had their form of the Madonna with the baby in arms and they have this all over the world Christmas is not unique to America it's all over the world it's everywhere we had a lady come here and she was working in Thailand she said it's Christmas 24 hours a day 365 days a year over there you've got the decorations everywhere they're selling in the marketplace constantly You've got it worldwide. If the world likes it, something's wrong with it. I want to read this verse to you. Go to Luke 16. I want you to read this with me. Luke 16. Luke 16. And verse... 15. Well, let's look at 14 and 15. And the Pharisees also who were covetous heard all these things and they derided Christ. They called him down, made fun of him. And he said unto them, Ye are they which justify yourselves before men, but God knoweth your heart. For that which is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. Is Christmas highly esteemed all over the world? I like I read last week what's bad about Christmas. The gangster likes it. The prostitute likes it. The Methodists like it. The Baptists like it. The Catholics like it. The Buddhists like it. The Hindus like it. They all liked Christ's Mass. What Christmas is, it is a time of feel good. You don't feel bad until people, you have to go through the narrow way. You have to go through tribulation in order to enter the kingdom of God. You don't, they don't want to do that. What you have to do, Christ's Mass is a time of the year for everybody to feel good towards everybody else. If you do that, if you accept your sister-in-law who doesn't believe predestination and she doesn't believe in in uh, 
Christmas is pagan and she thinks it's okay to go to whatever church she wants to, if she does that, here's what the Bible says you're doing. Look over here in Second John. In Second John, Second John ten. This is one of my favorite verses, and this is what you do when you put your approval on Christmas. Second John ten. If there come any unto you and bring not this doctrine, what doctrine? What he was talking about all through here. This is love that we walk after his commandments in verse 6. The elder of the church of the elect lady and her children whom I love in the truth. He's talking about love. And he speaks of the same thing in verse 3. The son of the father in truth and love. And then he says the same thing down here in verse 5. That we love one another. That word love is agape always. And then he defines it in verse 6. He says this is love. This is agape. That we walk after his commandments. His commandments are not grievous. They're not too heavy. What we're supposed to do is walk the way God wants us to walk. His commandments are more than the Ten Commandments. More than the Ten Commandments. That's over in Exodus, the 20th chapter. It's several other places, but that is the main place. We always think of the Ten Commandments. The commandments are every time God would use an imperative mood. It would have to be God using it. Imperative mood in the Greek. Now it has to be God using the imperative mood. God would either be Jesus or the apostles as they're writing the epistles which are inspired by the Holy Spirit. Now, sometimes the Pharisees would use an imperative mood. That's not worth a nickel. That's not worth anything. It's only when Jesus reads it. When Jesus would have Peter write, Humble yourself under the hand of God. Humble is an imperative mood. It is a command, just as much of a command as when Jesus would tell the, the storm, Peace, be still. And it stopped. It was just as much a command as when Jesus said, let there be light, and there was light. It was just as much of a command as when Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth. And he did. And he had been dead for four days. Just as much of a command. So we need to say humble, T-A-P-E-I-N-O-O. Apanua means to level self. When he would say strive to enter at the straight gate. Agonizumai, G-O-N-I-Z-O-M-A-I. That's our word, agonize. He's not inviting you to agonize. He's commanding every one of his believers 
agonize. The agon was the arena at Rome where they had the contest where they would turn the the gladiators in on the on the uh, Christians to devour them and eat them up. He says, "Strive." Agonizomai. That's a command. When he would say, preach the word, that's not a choice. You say, I'm not a preacher. Yes, you are. Everybody's a preacher. It means it's the word Caruso, K-E-R-U-S-S-O. I'm sure that's where Enrico Caruso, family name, come from. He was uh, one of the greatest operatic tenors in history if not the greatest he's the most famous without a doubt that's the same word his name is C-A-R-U-S-S-O Enrico Caruso this is the word K-E-R-U-S-S-O it means to herald Christ that's what it means preach the word be instant in season be instant is an imperative command. I said it the other day when I was preaching. In season means E-U-K-A-I-R-O-S. Kairos is the word time. You means well. It means well timing. When the timing is right, be instant. But be instant out of season. Out of season is the word A-K-A-I-R-O-S. Kairos is that word time. And the operative negates the word and means no convenient time. Tell the truth anyway. Boy, that's... Now, some of us don't have a hard time doing that. But it doesn't say be mean doing it. You're not supposed to be mean doing anything. Now, all the imperative moods, there's many in there. Many. These are some of my favorites. When the Bible will tell us to uh, to put up with one another. That's always an imperative mood. It, it's the word anecho, A-N-E-C-H-O. An echo comes from the alpha primitive, and echo meaning to hold up, hold up one another, hold up and put up with one another's little idiosyncrasies. Now, I keep telling you what what we have been doing at Christmas. You know what I've come to the conclusion that that Christmas is. It has nothing to do with tribulation. Everybody wants to sing hallelujah, hallelujah, have a song fest in their church, and even the people in there don't believe in predestination. It's absolutely not a time to preach on Romans 8 and 29, for whom he did foreknow. He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. You don't want to say that at Christmas. All that will do is offend people, and they'll walk out on the cantata. Don't do that. What are they doing at Christmas? It's a time of flattery. The common word flattery, it's very interesting, is the word kesem. Q 
um, excuse me, I'm going to do the wrong way. It's the word kalak. Kalak. C-H-A-L-A-Q. Here's the common word. You got many words for it. C-H-A-L-A-Q. Then you have C-H-E-L-E-Q. C-H-E-L-E-Q. And then you have another word that's spelled basically the same, a slight difference. C-H-E-L-E-Q. And then you've got the word C-H-A-L-A-Q, but the vowel points are different. C-H-A-L-A-Q. Every one of these have basically the same meaning. Then you have C-H-A-L-L-A-Q. And then you have C-H-E-L-Q-A-H. Every one of these mean basically the same. Q-A-H. And then you have the word C-H-A-L-A. C-H-A-L-A-Q-Q-A-H. Kalak. And then you have the word C-H-A-L-U. C-H-A-L-U-Q-Q-A-H. All of these talk about being smooth, when David picked up a smooth five smooth stones, it it even goes back to that five smooth stones. Smooth is not an evil word; it's how they were used it in flattery. It's talking about smooth words. Oh, what do you think of when you hear think of smooth words? Wouldn't you think of good words? And fair speeches. And Romans sixteen, seventeen, and eighteen. Romans sixteen, seventeen, and eighteen. It's by good words and fair speeches that these people that have a marked them with scars of visions and offenses contrary to the doctrine that you've learned. It's parallel to the doctrine you've learned. Para. That's the word contrary. It doesn't mean it's an opposition on this other end of the universe. It means it runs right along parallel, para. That's the word contrary in Romans 16, 17. Para, it's parallel. It's got a Jesus, but it's another Jesus. It's got, this is the thing that's wrong with Christmas. They've got another baby Jesus. Another Jesus. Another spirit. The Holy Spirit is truth. There's no truth about Christmas. Another gospel. All they have is a little baby in the manger. Every year it's a baby and it never gets to the cross. It's never crucified and never resurrected. And nobody even wants to talk about that part at Christmas time, do they? No. So what I'm going to do is show you some of these words. They all have to do with smooth words. They have to do with uh, making people feel good. That's what Christmas is about. It's a feel-good doctrine. When Peter said in Acts 2, Acts 2, 
the people listening to him speak said, Men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said, Repent. And they were cut to the heart. You don't hear that at Christmas time. You don't hear anybody being cut to the heart. I'm going to give you some of these verses. On, I read a couple of them to you the other day. I'm going to give you this one in Job 17. Verse 5. He that speaketh flattery. Flattery is this word, 17 and 5. It's this word, kalak, kalak, C-H-A-L-A-Q. It's that word. He that speaks smooth words to his friends, if there's anybody that knows what kind of a person you are when you have a family, it's your wife and your kids. You can't fool them. They see you lose your temper. They see you drink a little. They see you smoke a little. They hear you cuss once in a while. And then you get to church and act like you're just this holy, godly saint, and you're not. So they know who you are. He that speaketh flattery to his friends, if it's always smooth talk, your kids will know that's not the way you are at home. Even the eyes of his children shall fail. They'll fail when it comes to seeing truth. You'll teach them wrong by your example. People want to know what's wrong with the kids in America. The parents. That's what's wrong with them. Now look here. In, now I gave this to you already, but I'm going to give it to you again. This is not one of these words here. This is another word. Job... 32, 21, and 22. Job is saying, Let me not, I pray you, accept any man's person. That is the outward person. In the Greek, that would be respect of persons. Prosopolopteo. Pros. Apo. L-E-P-T-E-O. Prosopolopteo is a construction of pros, ops, and lambano. Pros means toward or for. That's our word pro. Ops is our word optical. That's what you see when you go to an optometrist. You go to get glasses so you can see. That's a Greek word. Ops. And lambano means to take hold of. Take hold of. So what respect of persons means? It means to move toward what you see and take hold of that. It means to look at the outward appearance. Outward appearance. Outward appearance. In fact, the word proso, P-R-O-S-O-P-O-N, which is a form of this, it comes from that, is the word face. The face is the surface of something. Over in the Old Testament, 
when darkness is on the face of the deep, face is the word pana. P-A-N-A-H. And it is a form of P-A-N-I-Y-M, which is the word respect of persons in the Hebrew. So it means just to look at the surface. If you look at the surface and accept the surface, that's what this smooth talk does in our life. It just tries to say the surface things that make you feel good and don't want to make you feel bad. Well, let me let me go ahead and read this. Let me not... Let me not, I pray you, accept any man's person, neither give them flattering titles. The word flattering is the word kanal. It's not these, that's the only time in the Old Testament that it's not one of these words here. And it, it actually means to give flattering titles or to eulogize. Eulogize, you. L-O-G-I-Z-E. Eulogize means to say well logos words. Don't say always well words to people. That's talking about you sure do look nice and you sure are great and I love you and you're wonderful and you don't need to change anything you're doing. And I'm just, you're just... You just say flattering words. That's all Christmas is. Go to a gathering and flatter them. And then in the next verse... For I know that not to give flattering titles, same word, kanah. In so doing, my maker would soon take me away. God will kill me if I do this. Now, let me give you another verse. All right. Over here in Job. Oh, excuse me, Job. Let's go to Psalms now. Psalms 5. Psalms 5. We're going to look at 8 and 9, but I want to start back here in in verse 5. The foolish shall not stand in thy sight. This is a psalm of David, uh, and he's saying these words to the Lord. Thou hatest all workers of iniquity. It doesn't say that he hates their iniquity. He hates all the workers of iniquity. The Bible says basically the same thing. Uh, He hates all workers of iniquity. And it says that throughout the Scriptures. Now, thou shalt destroy them, those people that are foolish and they work iniquity, them that speak leasing. Now, I know you're not going to know what that word means. Nobody ever does. The word is kazab, K-A-Z-A-B, K-A-Z-A-B. It means lying. God hates liars. It means a falsehood, a liar, an untruth, a man who deceives people. God hates it. And they destroy, God will destroy them that lie. I'm afraid the preachers that preach Christmas, they're going to have to face God one day. Christmas has nothing to do with Jesus. He's born of a virgin in Bethlehem in a manger, 
But Christmas doesn't have anything to do with them. Christmas was the birthday of Mithra in the ancient world, the sun god of Rome. The Lord will abhor the bloody and deceitful man, the man that wants to kill people. But as for me, I will come into thy house in the multitude of thy mercy and in the fear will I worship toward the holy temple. Lead me, O Lord, in thy righteousness because of mine enemies. That's the same thing when I pray, Lord, fight our battles for us. And make thy way straight. Boy, that is an interesting thing. You see the word way? It's the word direct. We've already studied this. This is amazing. Direct. That's the word way. And if you find the word direct in the Old Testament is equal to hodos in the New. And that is either the narrow way or the broad way. The broad way, many go in there and it leads to destruction. So what he's saying, you lead me in that straight way. Straight is always associated. The word straight is that word yasha. Y-A-S-H-A. Y-A-S-H-A. Now what's so peculiar here is this straight, the way is straight, it is right, word means right or righteous. That word way is the same word in Isaiah 40 and 3. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. These words are the same thing, so it has to mean. This was quoted over in the New Testament, this Isaiah 40 and 3, in Mark 1, verse 1 through 3. The beginning of the gospel. Boy, do you realize how far that's going to take us? The beginning of the gospel is prepare ye the way. Prepare the way. And isn't that the narrow way? That's the tribulation way. It is the narrow way in Matthew 7, 7, 13, 14. It's not the broad way. The broad way is for evil people. That sends them to hell because God prepared them for that. Broad way. So that's the broad way and it's spoken of over here as the gospel. The beginning of the gospel is preparing the way. So what So what the psalmist David is saying here, you can substitute the same thing. If equals are substitute for equals, the results are equal. If prepare the way, and that's the word hodos, 
And we know that it was, he goes on in verse 2 and 3, he says, as it was written by the prophets. But Luke gets more specific than that. Luke says, the baptism of repentance. Boy, there's so much to this. I've said it once, and I want to go into it in greater depth. And it's just so much to it. The baptism of repentance. John came preaching the baptism of repentance. As it was written in the book of Isaiah, referring to Isaiah 40 and 3. The baptism of repentance as written in, it says Esaias, but that is the way Isaiah is translated over into the Greek and then into the English. As is written in the book of Isaiah, Prepare ye. What if I put prepare ye the narrow way? It doesn't say narrow, but that's the only way he could be talking about. <coughs> prepare the narrow way. And that's what John the Baptist came to do was to prepare the way. And he was preaching the baptism of repentance. Of repentance, when you look it up in a in a analytical accent, it'll tell you of repentance is of repentance is genitive case. That means that if you have baptism of repentance. That true baptism belongs to that of repentance owns true baptism. Therefore, baptism has to be blood. A blood baptism is death to self. And that's what it is. What A blood baptism was a death. Was a death. It was death to self. So if baptism... If a blood baptism, that's what John was preaching when he preached, prepare you the way, prepare you the narrow way, the tribulation way. That's what he was saying. Prepare the tribulation way. So that's this. You get into all of this just in one of these words. You get, you, when you find a word that means the same thing in another verse, you can substitute that. And straight is the word yasha, and it means right. That's all of this, this, and everywhere you find way, it'll either be the narrow way or the broad way. In the Old Testament, if it's David praying for, make thy, make thy way straight before my face, he's talking about the narrow way. Or the true baptism, the blood baptism, or death to self. And then he says in verse 9, 
There's no faithfulness in their mouth. I want you to notice something. Their inward part is very wickedness and their throat is an open sepulcher. They flatter with the tongue. That word flatter is a form of smooth words. But notice something. They don't flatter with, they only flatter with the tongue. They tell you what you want to hear. But it's not true. They don't flatter with works. They flatter with the tongue. They just say it. Oh, that reminds me of the 29th chapter of Isaiah. What did he say there? Well, let's look at that real quick. 29th chapter is quoted in the 15th chapter of Matthew. But he says here in Isaiah 29th chapter. Isaiah 29. I like this. This is why Jesus quoted it over in over in the 15th chapter of Matthew. Wherefore the Lord said, For as much as this people draw near... Verse 13. Wherefore the Lord said, For as much as this people draw near me with their mouth... That's what they do at Christ's mass time. They draw near Christ with their mouth... And with their lips they do honor me at Christmas time, but have removed their heart far from me, and their fear toward me is taught by the precept of men. And you'll find that in Matthew 15. And he says they, and Matthew 15 says they teach the commandments of men. They draw away from me. So Christmas is flattery. Look over here in Psalms. Psalms 12, 2 and 3. This is a psalm of David written by the chief musician upon Shemineth. That's in the superscription above the chapter. They speak vanity, everyone with their neighbor, and with flattering lips, with a double heart do they speak. They don't believe me. They've got a double heart. Flatter is the word kalak. It means smoothness. It also means an allotment. That's exactly or to, to a portion when you look up demon in the Hastings, it'll tell you it means to a portion or to a lot. It means to distribute fortunes. The Lord shall cut off all flattering lips. He'll kill you. Cut off means to kill or destroy. And the tongue that speaketh proud things. Pride is a very evil, wicked thing, and that's why people flatter, because they're proud. One of the words for proud is R-U-W-M. Room. That's six six things God hates over there in Proverbs, the fourth chapter. 
And the first thing he names on the list is a proud look, a room look. That's why he changed Abraham's name. Abram comes from Ab and R-U-W-M. Abram. Abram was his name and then he changed his name to Abraham. This means proud father and Abraham means father of many nations. Now, the Lord shall cut off all flattering lips. Proud is a very wicked word. There's three common words for proud in the Greek text. You've got the word, you got the word, Hupere Phanos, H U P E R E P H A N O S. And you got the word Alexania, A L A Z O N I A. Alexania. And you have the word over in 1 Timothy, the sixth chapter. Tupao, T U P H O O. These are the three Greek words in the Greek text. Hooperephanos comes from hooper, meaning above, and phanos, P H A I N O S. Phanos means to shine. A person wants to be proud and shine above others. God's at war with that man. God resisteth. Antitasomai is the word resisteth. Antitasomai. It means to wage war against the proud, the hooperephanos, those who want to shine above others. God's at war with them. Antitasomai is at war with when you want to be seen above the crowd I'll tell you what people say but you're famous no no I don't think so I'm infamous people don't really like what I'm saying overall only the believers like it nobody else does now let's look at some more of these I'm looking at a whole bunch of these words about about flattery look over here in Psalms 36 and verse 2. Psalms 36 and verse 2. This is that word kalak. That's that first one on the list. Kalak means, it's kind to all the other words. It means to flatter, distribute, divide. A portion, those are the exact same words under Damonion or demon in the Hastings. To a portion, to meet out. The only way you can fool somebody is get, is talk smooth to them. Whenever I say be gentle and kind to people, I'm not talking about talking smooth. Say the words of God with gentleness, but do not beat around the bush and don't try to hide the meaning. Always said plain and straight. If you want to know how to talk to people, tell them what a sinner you have been, how God has dealt with your heart, and how you're living now, or how you're trying to live now and you don't want to live the way you used to. He says here in Psalms 36, 1 and 2, 
The transgression of the wicked saith within my heart that there is no fear of God before his eyes. People say, I don't fear God. I don't fear nothing. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. People say they're not afraid of God. Moses, when he came to the mountain, he was frightened. When he came to the mountain where God was, the Bible says he feared. And the word is ekphobeo. Ek, this is over in the 11th chapter of Hebrews. Ekphobeo. I mean, you're going to go to a mountain and you're not frightened out of your wits and God is there. He's frightened out of his wits. God starts talking to you. You better be afraid until he says, Peace, be still. I love you. For he flattereth himself in his own eyes until his iniquity be found and be hateful. Real nice people who flatter you don't really like you. They're trying to beat you out of something. And that's what this... That's what Christmas is. Have you ever noticed that somebody says, well, we gave them, we bought them something that cost $100, and they, they couldn't have given over 15 or $20 for this thing they gave us. It's a time for jealousy and anger and arrogance. It has nothing to do with Jesus. Now look here in Psalms 78. Verse 36. This is a different word. Here's another word. Verse 36. He's talking about wicked men. He's talking about Israel coming out or coming through the wilderness. You can see that when you read verse 25 and 26 and 27. Man did eat angels' food. That's the manna. He sent them meat to be full. He sent them doves in the evening. He caused an east wind to blow in the heaven, and by his power he brought in the south wind. He rained flesh upon them as dust and feathered fowls like as the sand of the sea. And all through here is talking about God coming to Israel. And look at verse 32. For all this they sin still and believe not for his wondrous works. Then he says down here in 34, When he slew them, when God slew them, then they sought him and they returned and inquired early after God. And they remembered that God was their rock and the high God their redeemer. Nevertheless, they did flatter God with their mouth and they lied unto him with their tongues. That word flatter is the word pawthaw. And it means to entice. They entice God with their mouth. That's one time the word flatter doesn't mean it doesn't come from cloth. Now look here in in the Sixth chapter of Proverbs. And he says here in verse 24, this confuses a lot of people. 
Well, let me read a little before this. Look at verse, look at the two verses before it. Well, let me back up a little more on that. Back up to verse 20. My son, keep thy father's commandment. Our father's God. And forsake not the law of thy mother. Our mother is Jerusalem. You can find that in Galatians 4. The church is heavenly Jerusalem, the church of the firstborn there in Hebrews 11. Bind them continually upon thine heart and tie them about thy neck. When thou goest, it shall be, it shall lead thee. When thou sleepest, it shall keep thee. And when thou wakest, it shall talk with thee. For the commandment is a lamp, and the law is light, and reproofs of instruction are the way of life. To keep thee from the evil woman. What is that talking about? from the flattery of the tongue of the strange woman. That's not talking about some woman seducing a guy. That's talking about Babylon the mother. Babylon is the mother of harlots. That's the strange woman because she was founded and built on Genesis 11 and 4 upon self keep you away from self let us make us a name let us make us us a name that's the very foundation of the wicked strange woman there's two women in the scriptures Jerusalem the mother of us all and Babylon the mother of harlots keep us from her now look here in, in Proverbs 7 Proverbs 7 and verse 4 and 5. Say unto wisdom, Thou art my sister, and understanding thy kinswoman. So he's talking about spiritual analogy. That they may keep thee from the strange woman, the stranger with flattereth with her words. Come on in and partake of the world. That's what he's talking about. Now look over here in Proverbs 20 and 19. He that goeth about in verse 19, he that goeth about as a talebearer revealeth secrets. You're not supposed to be doing that. What you do is keep your mouth shut when you know bad things. Therefore meddle not with him that flattereth with his lips. The man that flatters will spread gossip is what it's talking about. Now let's... Gossip is something I'm emphatically against. When people leave here, I do not talk about them. I leave them alone. That's what the Bible says. Leave them alone. If God wants to deal with them, that's His business. Proverbs 26 and 28. All through here it's talking about, well, I ought to back up a little bit. And let me get my regular Bible. I've got this marked up so much in my regular Bible. 
Proverbs 26. Proverbs 26. I can't hardly read it. It's so marked up. We need to back up a little before we get to the, the last verse of this. He's talking about He's talking about people who are rebellious against God. Look here at uh, verse verse 17. He that passeth by and meddleth with strife, you want to get into the fight. Madon is the word strife. It means a fight. Belonging not to him is like one that taketh the dog by the ears. And you don't even know the dog. He turns around and starts biting you and, and biting your throat, biting your arms. As a madman who casteth firebrands, arrows, and death, so is the man that deceiveth his neighbor and saith, I'm just kidding. Am not I in sport? I didn't really mean to hurt you. I was just kidding when I gossiped and told those people, and you lost your car, you burnt your house down. I was just kidding. Am I not in sport? Where no wood is, the fire goeth out. When you throw wood on the fire, and all you want to do is keep things stirred up, you're keeping the fire going. So where there is no tail bearer, the word is nergon, N-I-R-G-A-N. One that rolls people to pieces. It rolls people to pieces and destroys them. Where no tail bearer, it's just the way where no wood is, the fire goes out. The, where no tail bearer, which verse was I in? 20. Where no wood is, the fire goeth out, and where there is no nergon, nobody that tears people apart, strife ceases. <coughs> Don't be a part of strife. As coals are to burning coals, as fire is, as coals fire, coals are to burning coals, and wood to fire, so is a contentious man to kindle strife. If you just like to get in arguments for your sake, or you want to prove your point, the words of a tailbearer of a nergon are as wounds, and they go down into the innermost parts of the belly. It hurts. Do you like to hurt people? That make you feel better. Burning lips and a wicked heart. Like a potsherd. A potsherd is a piece of broken pottery that's good for nothing. Like a potsherd covered with silver dross. How can you decorate a piece of potsherd that's good for nothing? You dropped your you dropped your base and you broke it all to pieces and take one of them and you cover it with silver dross so it looks pretty. It's a pretty piece of junk. He that hateth dissembleth with his lips. To dissemble means to be a hypocrite. And layeth up deceit within him. When he speaketh fair, 
when a guy is deceitful and he talks real smooth and fair, kanon is the word, means to bend or stoop to kindness. He He's really this guy that lies all the time and he speaks fair, believe him not, because he's the same man that's stirring up strife. If he changes it all of a sudden, he just wants to start talking smooth. He wants to start flattering. Leave him alone. For there are seven abominations in his heart. That's the six and that's the six things that God hates in Proverbs four, and seven is an abomination. Proverbs six. And did I say what I say? Four. Oh, Proverbs six. Okay. Sometimes I say these things and forget where I am. Whom he, when he speaketh fair, there are seven abominations in his heart, whose hatred is covered by deceit. That's that's the piece of pottery that's broken, that's covered by something that looks good, deceitful. And his wickedness shall be showed before the whole congregation. Whoso diggeth a pit shall fall therein, and he that rolleth a stone, it shall be upon him. And a lying tongue hateth those that are afflicted by it. They hate you when they lie to you, even though it's smooth talk. And a flattering mouth works ruin. I really have a tendency, somebody that talks smooth all the time, I have a tendency to not believe them. You know what I'm talking about? Now let me go to the next verse I've got on, on flattery. All right. Over here in Proverbs 28 and 23. 28. And 23. There's several verses I like to go with this. He that rebuketh a man afterwards shall find more favor than he that flattereth with a tongue. If a man talks to you smooth, you're going to like the man that rebukes you for your sin being plain with you than the guy that made you feel good with his smooth words because you're going to find out his smooth words weren't true. Whoso robbeth his father or his mother and saith, it is no transgression, the same as the companion of a destroyer. He that is of a proud heart stirreth up strife. People that are real proud and all they do is brag and boast about themselves all the time. They stir up strife. But he that putteth his trust in the Lord shall be made fat. Fat doesn't mean cellulite. He that is a proud heart stirreth up strife. But he that putteth his trust in the Lord shall be made fat. And he that trusteth, he that trusteth, in his own heart is a fool if you trust in your own understanding because the heart was the place of understanding 
but whoso walketh wisely, he shall be delivered. He that giveth unto the poor shall not lack. That's why we believe in giving to the poor. We give to poor and needy people probably about $2,500 every month this ministry gives to the poor. But he that hideth his eyes from the poor shall have many a curse. And when the wicked rise, men hide themselves. But when they perish, the righteous are increased. Now look down here in 29. Boy, this is really true. 29 and 5. A man that flattereth his neighbor spreadeth a net for his feet. He's trying to trap you. You get too good a word from your neighbor. And a neighbor can be any number of people. Now let me give you a couple more of these. How much time do I have, Mike? 20. All right. Let's look at this here in Isaiah 30. It's one of my favorite chapters. Isaiah 30, verse 1, verse 8, 9, and 10. 1. Woe to the rebellious children, talking about Israel, because Isaiah talks about how they're going to be taken away because they went after Baal in the grove or the same system that was called the Christ Mass later on. That take counsel, but not of me. They gather together and meet at the Southern Baptist Convention and they decided a sinner's prayer was okay to, for, to preach a sinner's prayer for salvation when the Bible says, God heareth not sinners. If any man be a worshiper of God and doeth his will, him he heareth. And Romans ten fourteen says, How shall a man call upon God in whom he's not believed? You can't pray to a God you don't believe in. You have to be believing. But not of me, and that cover with a covering, but not of my spirit. They cover with another spirit, another gospel, that they may add sin to sin. That's what men do when they celebrate Christmas and Easter and all these paganism. They add sin to sin. Then down here, in, it's talking about the same people in verse 8. Now go, write it before them in a table. He's telling Jeremiah, write this before the people of Israel and note it in a book that it may be for the time to come forever and ever. My words that you write down are going to be inspired by me, Jeremiah, and they will never cease. They'll never return void. That this is a rebellious people, this house of Israel. They've gone after Bell in the Grove too long. Lying children, children that will not hear the law of the Lord. I like the word hear. Sword Shama. <coughs> hear and obey are the same exact word in the Hebrew. When I was talking about imperative moods earlier in the New Testament, Every time you see the word here, here is the word akuo. 
obey is the word hoop. Akuo. Shammah is here and obeys the same word in the Hebrew and the word hearken are all Shammah. Akuo is the word here. Hupakuo is the word obey. Hupo means under. It means to hear, under, or be subordinate. Every time you find the word hear, it's in him. He that hath an ear to hear, let him hear. God's not saying, would you please hear? It's an imperative move. Every time he says obey as a direct command, it's imperative, it's command. When God speaks to obey, that's imperative. So these are not choices that we have. We have to be obedient to God. That's all there is to it, whether we like it or not. And we will learn to like it. I've learned to like it. There was a time I didn't want to obey God. Have you ever been guilty of that? Well, have I ever been guilty of that? I want to be a famous singer. I want to be a rich real estate mogul. And I had the ability to do both. But God stopped me with my health. There's about 25 or 30 houses here in town. When real estate was easy to buy, and they had non-qualifying loans, FHA and VA, there's 25 houses in this town I was going to buy. In In the early 80s when I was real sick, and I knew if I bought four or five of them, and I could use all kinds of figures and make it work honest. I was a real good creative salesman. I could create ways, but I couldn't keep them up. You know what it takes to keep a house up that you're renting out? Especially if you get bad renters in it. I had a house one time down in Madison. The guy pulled all the doorknobs off of his... uh, don't have it anymore. All the doorknobs off the door so he'd get to his wife. She couldn't hide from him and get away from him. When we cleaned up the house, it's only about 700 square feet. And uh, we took 96 hefty bags of garbage out of that house. 96. It was stacked up. There was cockroaches, a million cockroaches. We had to call a pest control company to come out three times to kill the cockroaches. It was it was a disaster. And he would sit on the front steps and drink beer and throw the cans out in the yard. I rented this to his wife, a nurse. I knew that being a nurse, she'd be responsible. But she married... This husband was... She married... This parole officers, he was under parole. He was on parole, and and she couldn't control him. And it was, it's laughable now. It was something else. And things, windows were broken out. It was like a wreck. 
That's what it takes. Boy, you gotta, you gotta, when you have a rental house, you gotta do right by it if you don't. I learned that I had to have excellent references from the people before. But it's really funny. The, the best people I had that rented it, the best people that made it real neat, real cute, was two lesbians. <laughs> That's funny, isn't it? Uh, something else, but I sold that a long time ago. But it's just, of course, being in real estate, I knew that. I only took $500. I mean, people have griped at me for, you have owned this other house and you did this. I only got $500 in that house. What I did, I used the way I teach Bible. I used my mathematical ability. I took these people out. I listed their house, put it on the market. I took them out to see some houses. They said, we want that one. I said, you don't have enough money, but I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll loan you all the money that I get out of your house and all the all the commission I get out of that one. And I'll loan it to you on a uh, a uh, five-year loan. You'll, it'll be, I'll call the loan in two years, and I'll give you a 12% interest rate back then. Back then, interest rates, prime interest rates were 20, 21, 22. So that was a bargain for them. And sure enough, two years later, I collected my my commission. All you have to do is do some thinking. You can't do that anymore because they don't have any of those assume, assumable without qualifying anymore. They did away with the FHA and the VH like that. But anyway, I thought I'd just kind of throw that in a little bit of interest. Anyway, let's get back to what we're talking about. So down here they say, these people, this is Israel he's talking to. They're rebellious in verse 1. They take counsel but not of God in verse 1. And the Lord said, write this upon a table and write it and tell Israel this. That this is a rebellious people, lying children, children will not hear the law of the Lord, which say to the seers, a seer was a prophet. And they tell the prophets, see not, don't tell us the future, we don't want to hear that. And to the prophets, prophesy not unto us right things. Boy, this sounds like America. Don't say the truth to us, Jim Brown. Speaking to us smooth things. Kalak. That's what they wanted. Say smooth things and don't tell us the truth. Say smooth things to us. Deceive us. Tell us what we want to hear. We don't care what the future holds. Just tell us nice, smooth, flattering words. I love this chapter because at the very end of it, it talks about what Israel did while they were a nation. God says, if you're not obedient to me, and these prophets are prophesying flattering, smooth things to you, He said, if you follow these prophets, they're false prophets, they're not prophets from another nation, they're supposed to be priests of Israel, and they're all caught up in lying, with lying words. He said, what I'm going to do, 
if you get caught up with following this bell and grow worship and continue later on that was brought in the church and renamed Christ's Mass the point I'm trying to get over to preaching this is to let people know the judgments of God will come upon you for celebrating the Mass I mean the Christ Mass is eating human flesh it's, that's what the Mass is you're going to follow Baal in the grove. The priests of Baal were tall, white pointed hats, white sheets, and they worshiped Baal. And they worshiped the flaming cross. Yes, the clan comes out of the priest of Baal. They worshiped the flaming cross and they only later than the ancient world. God says, and the priest of Baal ate human flesh from their altars. Human flesh. That's exactly what the mass is. The mass is eating human flesh. They say, the Roman Catholics say, they raise the Eucharist up in the air. I've said this a thousand times. And they utter the words, hoc est corpus fully. And they say that turns that Eucharist it turns into the literal body and blood of Christ. You have to walk down the aisle and accept the Eucharist. You walk down the aisle and accept Christ. That's where it came from. Accept Christ is hellish doctrine. And that's what all the Baptists in America preach. The Bible says the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. Natural means the sensual man, the sukikos man. P-S-U-C-H-I-K-O-S. That verse in 1 Corinthians 2.14 says that the mass is not true. The physical man, the sensual man that can see, hear, taste, touch, feel, that sensual man does not receive decomai. This actually says that the Mass is not true. Decomai comes from deck, which is the word ten. A decade is ten years. D-E-C-A-D-E is ten years. And decomai means to reach out the ten fingers and accept an offer that's been given. You cannot accept Christ by walking down an aisle, either in a Catholic church or a Baptist church. It's not true. I, I can't believe the world is so caught up with so much error. The Mass is wrong. So the Lord said, I will cause you, if you keep going after these Bell and Grove. The Grove was the tree goddess. That's the Christmas tree. Don't matter whether anybody believes that or not. That's where it comes from. If you go after Bell and the Grove, I'm going to cause you. First of all, I'm going to bring the sword, the famine, the pestilence. And then I'll bring the beast in, Babylon, Persia, Greece, and Rome, carry you into captivity. But when I do bring the famine... I bring the sword against you. Here's what the siege was. The siege was the sword. And this is what God said He was going to do. If you lived in this city, 
and the beast, being Babylon, Persia, Greece, or even Syria. God would have the Syrian king Ben-Hadad come down to Jerusalem and shut off all avenues to Jerusalem. And they would make them sit there in a siege. That was a siege. A siege isn't necessarily an attack. They just cut off all avenues, wouldn't allow any water, any food to come in there. After about six weeks to two months, to two months, God says, you'll get to starving to death. You won't have any food. Your children will start dying. And I will cause you to eat your children. My first time I preached that in this ministry years ago, one said, I never read that in the Bible. It's all over the Bible. It's all over the Old Testament. I didn't know if I was going to be able to get into that this week. But I'll go ahead and read a couple of those things to you. Do I have any time, Mike? Four. Four minutes. If you read the... You can read this last verse of the 30th chapter of Isaiah. I'll, re- I'll talk to you about eating their children. They did eat their children. Verse 33 of chapter 30. For Tophet, which was southeast of Jerusalem, in the valley of Hinnom, that's where Israel would go to offer their children to Moloch, which was the sun god of what we call Jordan, northern Jordan, or it was the sun god of the land of Ammon, right at northern Jordan, which is right next door to Israel. For Tophet is ordained of old, yea, for the king is prepared, he hath made it deep, and large the pile thereof is fire and much wood and the breath of the Lord like a stream of brimstone doth kindle it. God is the one that set everything on fire. And that was where they kept the eternal fire burning that we've talked about. They ate their kids. If you look at Jeremiah, I may just read some of these off real quick. Before they got into the land, he told them in Deuteronomy 28, 50 through 53, this is before they ever broken his laws. Thou shalt eat the fruit of thine own body, verse 53, the flesh of thy sons and thy daughters, which the Lord thy God has given thee in the siege in the straightness wherewith thine enemies shall distress thee. You'll end up eating your children. You can read about them eating their children in Second Kings, the sixth chapter, when Jehoram, the son of the son of Ahab, was king, and two women got together and they said, Well, we'll eat my son today and we'll eat yours tomorrow. Well the next day come 
the other woman wouldn't let give up her dead baby to be eaten by the other woman and her. They ate her baby, so they go to Jehoram. Jehoram says, that Elijah, he's the one that called all of this. No, you're caused to Jehoram, you and your wicked father Ahab. Jehoram was just as evil. I wouldn't say just as evil, but he was evil just like Ahab, his father. And they were eating their children. People say, that's disgusting. Yes, it is disgusting. God says, I will not pity you. You had no pity for me. I'm going to come back and go through all these times that he said, you'll eat your children. I had a couple more of these verses on on uh, flattery. I didn't get through all of them. I got through most of them. But I'll come back. Are we out of time, Mike? Yeah. Let's pray then. Father, thank you for truth. Lord, sometimes I don't know what to pray for. Just fight our battles. Lead us in the way that's straight. And that's the way you'd have us to go, a way of righteousness. Deal with our hearts. I pray you'll deal with the people out there that's watching. That you'll convict their hearts to support this ministry as well as to get behind it and learn the words and teach them to people they know. Lord, lead us to your elect family every day. If there's something we're not doing that we can do, open our minds to it so we can know and do the truth. We'll praise you for everything because we know that everything is your will. In Christ's name, amen. I'll come back and read some of these to you.